want to do with your life? You ask some people about that, and you ask about what their mission is, and man, they, their eyes will light up, and they say, I want to make a difference in people's lives by teaching. I want to invest in developing a business that will truly impact culture as we know it. They have different ideas and different people, and, and, and you talk to some, and they say, I want to raise a family and, and, and do it in this way. And it's exciting. It, it's inspiring to hear them talk about that, isn't it? And yet at the same time, developing a sense of mission is not something that everybody looks for. As I was preparing this message, I stopped when I asked that question of myself, and, and I just stopped for a few minutes, and I wrote my own, sense, my, my own mission statement. I've been thinking about this as I've uh, moved into my <clears throat> 60s, <clears throat> and um, I, I've been thinking, you know, what's, what's the next third of my life going to look like if I end up living a normal lifespan? And I just have reflected on that a little bit. And um, it's been interesting. Bob Buford has written a book called Halftime, and uh, he divides life up into two sections, and he basically says that um, he challenges people to look at what it is that they're going to do with the second half of their lives uh, and how they can best be utilized by God to live life to the fullest and to make a, an impact in the coming years. You see, far too many people end up thinking that, well, once I reach a certain age, I'm going to do nothing. And as I was reflecting on that, I just said, I, I said to myself, I can't do that. I want my life to count for something. I want to be able to finish well. And those have been some things that have driven me to write that down. Many people, however, seem to have a lack of a sense of mission. You ask them what it is that their mission is, and they'll give you some blank stares. But mission is something that gives you a reason to get up in the mornings. Ask any mom. They'll hear something going on, a little whimper in the other room, and they're up to check on it. Dad... Now, that's not disrespecting dads, because I used to do that, too. It's just that our sense of mission is a little bit different. Because a mom's mission is nurture and care. And guys provide nurture and care in other ways. But, man, we sleep through hurricanes and earthquakes and all that other stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Amen, guys? Yeah, there you go. When Mary found out that she was pregnant supernaturally through the Holy Spirit, she was betrothed to Joseph. She was basically engaged to him. And Joseph found out about this, and it wasn't necessarily something that he had anything to do with, and so he decided that he was going to quietly divorce his girlfriend. He was going to let her go and break up with her, as we talk about today. But in a dream, Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 tells us that an angel spoke to him 
And these were the words that the angel spoke. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived from her is from the Holy Spirit, and she'll give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph knew at that moment, and from that moment on, that he was going to be involved in something that would impact the lives of many, many people, probably more so than he ever, 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 ever imagined. And that life has changed people's lives. Because Jesus was on mission. And I want us to look at, at what his mission was about, but also to understand what it means to be on mission. And Jesus' name, first of all, reflects his mission. Last week, Will shared about a friend of his that had a billboard outside of his uh, church building that had, you are the reason for the season on it. And for the three or four people that were here for communion on Sunday during the snowstorm, uh, no, we had, we had a nice little crowd, but it was, uh, it was much smaller than this. Um, he said that the tendency is to go ahead and react to that statement. You are the reason for the season. Because we already have enough selfishness and greed popping up at this time of the year. But the words that the angels spoke to Jesus or, or to Joseph were significant. He said, you're to name this baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And, and Je- Jesus is the anglicized version the English version of Yeshua in the Hebrew. Yeshua is also translated Joshua, and the literal translation of that is Jehovah saves. Jesus' name reflects his mission that he came to do on this earth. And Jesus' mission, if we are his followers, should be ours as well. Folks, we... How many here profess and claim, I am a Christian? Please, go ahead, raise your hands. I am a Christian. That means that you are wearing the name of Jesus. You have said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I wear his name. I follow him. I serve him. And if we wear that name, then we will be about the Lord's business. He wants us to tell others about him. His goodness. He wants us to tell about who he truly is and what he's done. Now, we realize, folks, we can't go about saving people. Only Jesus does that. But we are his conduits through whom that salvation is communicated, through whom that salvation is offered. And it is our job to lovingly and faithfully point others to him, to share him, to introduce him to others, to invite them to come to know him. I love this time of year because in many ways it's a golden opportunity for us to not only share with family and friends but also with others that we come into contact with about who Jesus really is and what he came to do. Parents, you have a golden opportunity in the lives of your children And grandparents, you have a golden opportunity in the lives of your grandchildren. Aunts and uncles, you have a golden opportunity in the lives of your nieces and nephews to talk to them about Jesus. 
And I want you to hear me very, very clearly. If you're only, hear me, if your only focus for this season is a guy in a red suit and a white beard, you are cheating your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and nephews out of the true blessing of Christmas. Now, please, we can have fun with those kind of things. We can have fun with Elf on the Shelf and all that kind of stuff. You know, so please don't feel guilty because you posted that on Facebook and so on and so forth, okay? We can have fun with those things. But when it gets right down to it, Christmas is about Jesus Christ, about his love, about his mission to save people from their sins. And Jesus' name not only reflects his mission, but Jesus' choice reflects his mission. You see, most worthwhile missions in life are never really easy. There comes a point when you end up articulating a mission in your life that, that it looks good on paper and you really get excited about it, but then implementing that mission becomes a real challenge. As I was writing my life mission down this past week, I came across that. It came very, very easily and very, very clear to me, and I wrote it down very, very quickly, but then I started reviewing it a little bit and looking at it to see if it was what I really wanted to say, and there was one statement in there that really gave me pause. I want to read it to you. It says, I will love God so much that I will do whatever he asks whenever he asks, no matter what the cost. <laughs> and that one made me swallow twice. And I blinked. Because that's going to be hard. In past years, it has been hard. But it's been worth it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, tells us a little bit about Jesus. And Paul says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. Jesus made a choice. He made a choice to become one of us. He made a choice to leave the glories of heaven, to give up the scepter that was in his hand, the crown that was on his head, to divest himself of all royalty as, as the Son of God, the Word made flesh. And he chose to wrap himself in human flesh and become like you and like me. Think about that, folks. The creator became the created. The one who formed everyone became, allowed himself to be formed. And that's just mind-blowing for me. As I reflect on that, it's just mind-blowing. But it reflects the choice that Jesus made. And the choice that he made was, he, was that he was all in when it came to saving us from our sin. 
You know what we love babies so much? You know, we, we get around them and we act like total idiots, you know? We, we, we look around them and we, 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 we hang out with them and, and we, oh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or maybe I'm confessing too much about what I do. I don't know. <laughs> maybe you don't do that, but others do, okay? You know why? I can think of two reasons. The first is that babies are helpless. They're helpless. And we like that because we think that we're in charge. As a matter of fact, when a child comes around, that's the only time we feel in charge. Can I get an amen on that? So when they're two, when they're three, when they're 13 or 14, things change pretty much. And you lose control. And you think to yourself, why did I do this in the first place? Uh, it's so cute. I want them to stay this way. And, but they're helpless. And it helps us to think that we're in charge. But babies are also relatively harmless. Oh, they may stink up the place on occasion. They may give us some sleepless nights, but they don't hurt us. You see, we learn to hurt later on. When we allow sin to come into our lives, and it blights our hearts, and it darkens our spirits, and the worst in us can come out. Jesus' choice to become one of us reflects his mission to save us from our sins. Do our choices reflect the mission that we've been called to? Parents, if you're followers of Jesus, you've been given the mission to raise your children in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord, to teach them not just to come to church, but to become his followers, his disciples, to make choices that will honor him in everything that they do and say. Is that your priority in parenting? Or are other choices and other activities pulling you away and them away from their, your mission to them? Christians, our mission is to tell others about Jesus Christ, the one whose name we wear. And do our choices reflect that? Do we invite people to hear about him? Do we give him priority in everything that we do in our lives, with our time, with our finances, with our hearts, with our all, with our conversations? Is he the choice that we make? Jesus' focus not only reflects, is reflected uh, by the name that he wore, Jesus' focus on his mission wasn't only reflected by the choice that he made, but also by the focus. His focus reflects his mission. During our worship time last Sunday, people were leaving, and I was standing down here just getting my stuff, and all of a sudden, uh, Jillian uh, Cowherd came in uh, along with her little daughter, um, baby Charlotte. And baby Charlotte came down that aisle, and she was running full tilt. And I thought, oh, cool. And I got down, and I said, hey, Charlotte. And she blew right past me. <laughs> I mean, you know, you talk about giving somebody a, a, a sense of being slighted. and just I mean, 
And I could have been, you know, and I, I wasn't because I knew who was behind me. Eric was standing right around here and he was picking up some things and she had her eyes fixed on him and there was nothing and no one that was going to get in her way. She was focused on her daddy. And I love that. Jesus' focus on saving us was so, so intense that there was nothing that was going to deter him, not even death. And that's what Paul brings out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. On one of the memory verses that I posted uh, this past week on Facebook, there were just a few words that I posted up along with that as far as my own commentary, and that is that talk is cheap. Love does. Talk is cheap. Love does. And when we think about how Jesus confined himself to human flesh and he served and he died and he did it for you and for me, it takes on new meaning. We can only conclude that he truly must have loved us in order to do that. He must truly love us right now in order to have gone through that. And John chapter 3 verse 16 takes on some new meaning. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And it takes on even greater meaning when we take away the the term the world and we say, for God so loved Mark. For God so loved Leslie. For God so loved Paige. For God so loved Carly. For God so loved George that he gave. And you put your name there. And it takes on brand new meaning because we understand the extent of his love as he would come down into a manger only to be put on a cross. He would stop at nothing to save you and me. He was so focused that that's what he did. Augustine said, He lies in a manger but contains the world. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes but vests, himself with immor- vests us with immor- immortality. He found no place in the inn but makes for himself a temple in the hearts of believers. In order that weakness might become strong, strength became weak. Because love will stop at nothing to touch. Love will stop at nothing to heal. Love will stop at nothing to save. But Jesus also reflects his mission through his glory. I know that we have a lot of parties and different things that take place right around this time of year, but you know there's another kind of celebration that takes place uh, seeing Pittsburgh Steelers outfit over here. Uh, uh, God bless you, Josh. But um, 
It's a good team. Okay. Uh, but you know what? There's a lot of celebrations that take place in football, don't they? And, and, and it's really interesting because whenever a, a winning touchdown or, a, or, or an interception is done, all the fans go crazy. And the players, I mean, they must spend two-thirds of their practice time doing you know, or something. They, they, they try to master a dance move or something. And, and whenever, whenever they have done something really good, such as score a touchdown or an interception, it becomes sweet for them and they celebrate. And they go out and go all out for it because they even rehearse these silly things during their practice sessions. And if they're the game-winning, if, if the touchdown is a game-winner, if the interception ends the game, it becomes even sweeter because these guys not only have done their job throughout the game, but now they were the ones who actually received the glory because they made it. They did what they were supposed to do. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that there is a time when Jesus will receive the glory due him for fulfilling his mission to save him. Oh, he's been glorified already in, the, in heaven. I, I, I know that. But the glory that he is awaiting is also out of this world. In verses 9 through 11, he said, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, there is going to come a day when not 200 people, or 250, or 3,000, or 5,000 or 5 million will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. There will come a day when everyone, everyone, both those who are for Jesus and those who are against him, will bow before him and acknowledge him. For some, it will be an acknowledgement of condemnation. But for many of us, it will be an acknowledgement of joy. And it's going to be a celebration. Yeah, it was worth following you. And he will receive glory because of that. In Mark chapter 13, verse 26, we're told that, those, those who, uh, that, that he's going to come in the clouds with great power and glory. And those who have been faithful will be with him. Those he saved will be with him. Those who trusted in him to cleanse them from their sin will be with him. Those who loved others with his love will be with him. Those who leaned on his grace will be with him. Those who pointed others to him will be with him. Those who sacrificed for him and his kingdom, and they sacrificed their all, will be with him. And those who are with him will be his glory. Isn't that exciting? Hebrews chapter 12 encourages us that since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who have already preceded us, who are cheering us on in the amphitheater of life, we are to run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising its shame and now sits at the right hand of the Father. I can only imagine, folks, 
Oh, that sounds like a song, doesn't it? I can only imagine, though, that in many ways, Jesus' glory is going to be to see you cross the finish line. To to feel the nail-scarred hands wrap themselves around you and embrace you. And to see the look of love in his eyes as he welcomes you home. And he says, mission accomplished. And his glory, his glory will reflect it.